Hi, everybody. Thanks for tuning in to the Coaching Call podcast. On this podcast, we'll cover various types of coaching by trainers in sports, martial arts, fitness, and business. We'll discuss each coach's methods to getting the most out of their respective athletes or clients and how they attempt to change the platform in which they coach. Join us on a fun adventure as we discuss unique coaching styles. We've all been coached before, in school, at work, or on a team. Coaching is a universal part of how we get others to get something done. Join your host, Raphael, and his guests on this unique journey in coaching. Hi, I'm Sifu Raphael, and this is the Coaching Call Podcast. Today's guest is Sifu Allen Baker. He's a high-performance coach and an internationally recognized martial arts and self-defense expert. He has been privileged to work with and design training programs for the Department of Defense, CIA, and other specialized government and military groups, like the U.S. Department of Homeland Security. Good afternoon, Alan. Thank you for joining us on the Coaching Call podcast. Thanks for having me. How are you today? Doing great. Thanks for having me on. Uh, My pleasure. It's been a while. I've seen you on LinkedIn, and I've always said, this is one guy I want to connect with. You have, you probably have an amazing story, and I'd love for you to share it with us. You have done so much as far as martial arts, and you've trained with so many high-level instructors. Would you care to share with us how that all started? How old were you? started in my youth when I first got introduced to Marshall. I was 11. might have been slightly before my 11th birthday. I was a uh, high-energy, rowdy kid. And mom was having a hard time handling me by herself. <laughs> so she took me into the local martial arts studio to teach me some discipline, maybe a little bit of self-control. I fell in love with it. The instructor at that time, he had two sons that were in the school, and they obviously had trained way longer than me. And the first night, I was requested to get out there and move around with them, mm. and they tore me up. I loved it, and I was, I was hooked. Went on from there in Cleveland, Tennessee, and I, at one point, I was a member of every martial arts school in the town. <laughs> <laughs> if I, I had to get a job to afford my tuition, I was just enamored by it, eat up by it. Mm. Started to look outward to find more information, and that's when I started to uh, read about uh, Guru Dan Anasano, Francis Fong, Eric Paulson, Chai Sarasute, uh, and, uh, you know, I'm like, well, I've got to go see these guys. And that's when I first started getting introduced to Guru Dan and Sipu Fong. Uh, Guru would come to the Fong Academy in Atlanta, Georgia, and a friend and I saved up enough money, so we started coming down, fell in love with it, and every time he was here, we would make a trip. And from there... Got introduced to Eric Paulson, Master Chai, uh, through uh, Sipu Fong. Went on to meet Pedro Sauer, you know, early, mid or to early 90s when uh, Gracie Jiu-Jitsu started to come into the United States. Uh, and then I've always had a hunger for more information. So I've always made an effort to look and see what's out there. And uh, if it was something new or very unique uh, to a situation or a fighting environment, I'd go see them. And that's what got me to where I am today. You've trained with all these these really high-level guys. And you have also decided to not only take it upon yourself to obviously absorb everything they've given you, 
but you you've decided to share it. Tell us how that came about. Oh, um, one of my instructors, David Collins, when I was a teenager, he you know he would teach martial arts. He had a martial arts school. He also had an expedition company, mm. uh, which was a another story entirely. But one of the things he taught me was I have a self education system. He would tell us, you know, don't necessarily rely on what I tell you. You should have your own process of going through information, testing it, bouncing in off of other information that you find and making sure it works for you. He gave us uh, a series of things to use in that education process. And one of them, he said, if you teach, it's a higher level of learning. When I was in my teens, I started getting involved through his support teaching people. And, uh, you know, if you've ever taught, you know, it's one of the greatest forms of learning. You, a lot of times you'll find out just how much you don't know, which leads you to <laughs> going and, and yeah, absolutely. seeking more knowledge, you know. And, and a common thing with the students is they'll ask questions. And sometimes they'll ask questions you've never asked. You've ever asked yourself, you know, and it'll put you in a situation of, well, I'm either just going to deny that I don't know, or I'm going to go find out. And, you know, he, he, David at that time, he goes, they'll help you seek lines of knowledge that you're not even aware of. And so that's what got me first introduced to the idea of sharing information on mentoring. Obviously, I loved it. I mean, uh, the whole process. After that introduction, I don't think I've ever stopped. I've, I've always had some sort of mentor relationship, coaching, teaching relationships since then. I love I love how he put it to you in, in such a profound way where he told you that the best way to for you to really learn is to teach because that is the essence. Through your teaching, you actually become so much better. Mm-hmm. It's really good that he taught you that at, at an early age. Yeah. I understand that you were asked to teach, but when did you actually go on your own and start teaching? Oh, probably around the early 90s, um, started working with a gentleman in Chattanooga, Tennessee, Paul Levis, and uh, we ended up having two schools there. And that's when I spent a lot of time on my own just running one or the other school. Fortunate, I'd spend my whole day. People would come in and they would pay for a private lesson, but to me, they were paying me to train. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, it was fantastic. And, and once I started he also introduced me to the idea of the business end of it, too, you know, and how to run a school successfully, create the proper environment inside the school. And uh, that's that's what got me started professionally in the industry. I, I like the, the fact of how you, you looked at it. It's that you were not being paid to train someone else. You were being paid to train yourself, which in reality, that's what you were doing. I mean, anytime that we do train someone in anything, we're actually just honing our own skills. Agreed. You, you obviously are still doing that. You're still honing your skills because you have sought out so many different mentors and coaches and, and you're still training and it's, it's beautiful. I love it. Why do you continue to train when you've achieved such a high level? Oh, well, um, first of all, I don't really look at it as a high level. <laughs> Yeah, uh, I'm not a big user of the term mastery. Uh, whenever I talk about it, I will say to the students or the guys that we're on a mastery path. And the truth is, you'll never make it because you never really arrive. And if you do, something's wrong. That's when you'll start to rest. 
you know, you let down your guard, start to take it easy and cruise on your past experiences. You know, a warrior, that's, that's what makes one of the things that makes a warrior a warrior. He doesn't do that. He knows there's no arrival date and he knows that striving to better yourself physically, mentally, uh, all the way around never really ends, but he still chooses to go after it. That philosophy pushes me even now. That and then mentors like Dan Asano, who's in his 80s, and it's just incredible mm-hmm. what he gets up and does every day. And like, I'll get up, you've got a little pain or you're not feeling good today. And then you think like Guru Dan, is he's still going, driving, he does privates every day, teaches every day. Like, yeah, I've, I've got to get, I've got to get my butt out there and keep pushing, you know, and keep digging for future growth and forward momentum. You know, when you have someone who's been doing it for so long, like Dan Anasanto has, and that he still has the passion. And when you can follow someone like that, that's just incredible. When you think about it, it's just an incredible feat that he's had and that he's still doing. And that's something where we can follow along and, and follow his in his footsteps. Yeah, I agree. Tremendous. You nailed it on the head. Tremendous amount of passion. And to have spent his whole life uh, in the manner that he has still, you know, if you have the opportunity to chat with him in a seminar, he's like a mm. kid in a toy store. He just loves it, and he just eat up by it. Um, I've been fortunate enough to have the opportunity to spend some personal time with him, uh, go lunches and that stuff, and the man never stops, mm-hmm. constantly learning. He's watching a video on his phone and comparing it to other systems, and it's just amazing. Uh, you, I've, I've never seen anyone, honestly, more driven or devoted to growth in, you know, in the warrior arts and in your With all the coaching you've had, you've actually taken all their advice and you've created your own. So with that emotional intelligence that you have, how do you go ahead and share your vision and your strategy with someone you're coaching? Uh, in relation to the martial arts? Any, any of your coaching, because I know you, you don't just do martial arts, but any when you're helping anyone in any capacity. Uh, well, I, it, it kind of depends on the topic, but to me, a lot of the philosophies that I've learned from my mentors and from the art apply to everything. The educational process that we talked about earlier, I, I learned it on the mat and applied it to martial arts, but then when I started getting into the business, you know, I applied all of those principles to business, too, and it, it worked out wonderfully. And then when I started to do work in the security industry or working with law enforcement, military, and that type of thing, creating programs for those guys, an entirely different area, but used those same principles to find success there. So a lot of those things were taught kind of on the side of the classroom. You know, there's little discussions that you have with the teacher. When you're having a challenge, mm-hmm. those little tidbits of knowledge, you know, it's not necessarily on the curriculum, but it is that additional wisdom or salt and pepper that he shares with you off to the side. To me, those things, regardless of the what you're teaching, whether it be martial arts, business, anything, will apply because they are just the tools of personal development, growth, and, and just striving to, you know, operate. Uh, at a higher level, trying to better yourself, step up a little bit more every day. Absolutely. You know, it's it's funny that you say that because that is so true. Actually, one time I was doing privates with a gentleman and he was doing our privates 
happy to do them. And we're doing weaponry and everything. And he turns around and he goes, would you mind if we don't do any weapons today? I said, no problem. What would you like to work on? He goes, I'd just like to talk. I'm like, okay. He starts diving into the reasoning why he's training and all these different things. And so it became almost like a regular thing for him. Every time we did a private, it was an hour private, he would definitely would start with, before we start our private, I want to talk to you first. And it wound up being a 20-minute talk. I kind of felt like, yes, I'm helping him, but does he just want to talk? Because I can talk to him anytime. He doesn't have to pay me for it. You know, he's a nice enough guy that I don't mind talking to him. But he's like, no, I want to talk to you during this time. I'm like, okay. So in his mind, he set up a time where he can understand his own training. And it's been that way ever since. And I still train him. And it's funny because every time he'll see me, he's always got that philosophical question for me. And sometimes it's not during our private sessions. And it's just like, hey, Sifu, I have a question for you. I'm like, absolutely, shoot away. And we, as, as instructors, as coaches, we are guiding them. We're guiding them in exactly the same way you said, to be able to deal with whatever situations they may be going through. And in talking about how you guide people, you've worked with SWAT teams and the CIA and government officials and so forth. How did that come around for you? I had a gentleman come in my school in Atlanta, Stacy Roberts, and we became good friends. And he introduced me to Richard Kobet, who was the founder of the Executive Protection School out of Virginia. And when I went up there, they actually have a com- they had a common problem that I see in a lot of law enforcement and military groups that I've worked with is they'll they want to teach defensive tactics, so they'll hire a martial artist and that martial artist to come in and teach his system and they'll use it for a little while and then mm-hmm. they generally realize that it is suit and tie on and uh, the laws that they have to follow uh, the rules that their boss sets for them they can't do those things so then they will bring in another guy he teaches the system he knows and the process repeats um, what I did is I went in went to the school and I learned their environment first all the rules they have to follow the the things that the principal requires of them, how they have to dress, where they are allowed to stand, so on and so forth. And once I had all that information, I actually designed the system around their environment. So considering the laws, the force continuum that they have to follow, mm. they have to articulate any encounter that they have. You can't just, in, in that situation, you can't even close your fist up and hold them up because that's an assault. And you really can't make first contact. And you you want to de-escalate it immediately because if you get tangled up with a threat, then your principal is standing there by himself. So we built a whole system around that. I've been with them ever since. It's probably been like over 13 years now. And, and the more I get involved with the industry, I get to talk to the guys that do the work. And I've been fortunate enough to be able to do the work myself over the years. The more I come back and you'll tweak that system, change a little this, change a little that. And so it, it has just mutated and evolved over the years into a, a, a really keenly designed system for uh, personal protectors. And uh, that is the same process we went through for the programs that we designed for law enforcement uh, and the military uh, individuals and groups that we worked with. It varies per uh, really person or uh, group that you're working with. You know, you may go to work with the SWAT team here in Georgia and due to the interactions they've had previously, 
they're not allowed to do certain things. If they have certain rules they have to follow. So you adjust the program to fit them specifically. You may go to another uh, location in Ohio, and it's completely different. So you, you have to have the ability to adjust the program around the environment that they have. Otherwise, you're giving them something that's not really that useful, to be quite honest. Absolutely. And, you know, you, you did what the smartest thing anyone could have done. And obviously everyone else failed before you came and is assess what they have to deal with. And that is critical. And, and that's not just for military, but anyone. I mean, w when you're teaching a woman's self-defense class, it's different than when you're teaching a men's self-defense class, right? Yes, very much so. A lot has to change. Yeah. Right, right. So by you assessing the situation and, and what, I mean, that was brilliant on your part. And but also, it, I think it's because of your training that you were able to do that. If you were asked to do that, say, 10 years earlier, would you have taken the same approach? You know, I don't think so. One of the, the things I think heavily affected it was studying different martial arts systems, uh, because after a certain amount of information, you start to get a little lost. What does Filipino colleagues do here? What does CSW do here? What does Jiu-Jitsu do here? I started to look at a lot of the information based around the human machine and what I call primal environment. The primal environment is, for instance, like striking. Uh, it happens whether you're trained or not. An untrained person will ball his fist up and try to hit you. A trained person will. Uh, one might look better than the other, but nonetheless, it is a primal reaction of the human. And once I started to see those primal environments, started to take the information out of the system and find the highest percentage techniques, moves for me that work and started to piece together what I was going to do in each of those environments. And it, it made me start looking at based around the human being and not so much around the system. Uh, and, and so going through that process, I think that is one of the things that got me to the point that made me look at solving uh, the problems of uh, like a, a personal protector or a law enforcement officer differently later on in life. Mm -hmm. Well, because, I mean, I teach Kung Fu too, and I would never fight with some of the techniques I teach because they're pretty and, and they're fun to do. But when it comes to a real life situation, I mean, you know, it's a whole different ball game. The way we teach someone to perform a, a martial art or actually engage in a martial art are two different, two different ways of doing it. I agree. But those things are still tremendously valuable. I just think that sometimes a lot of the reason why I do it is a little lost. You know, people will look at it and go, it's all about fighting, like doing a form or something like that. When in reality, it might be more about finding a higher level of physical discipline in your body. Mm -hmm. As you know, you know, you teach like a form from Kung Fu. Sometimes a student might not necessarily be looking at a move he's doing in that form and he does it wrong. So you might point it out to him that his hand's in the wrong place, and he'll still be surprised. He'll be like, mm -hmm. it is? And so he'll look over at his hand and go, oh, wow, it is out of place. And that is a disconnect between the mind and the body. And there's not too many systems out there that help you make that connection in reality. And martial arts is one of them that is the absolute best that's designed for it. So you might not necessarily use that form or the moves in the form for a fight, 
But the higher level of physical control and ability you will definitely use, it carries over into those techniques that you would use in application. It, it's the way you move your body. Uh, having done, say, a form or technique or, or working with weapons, long weapons, short weapons, definitely teaches you how to move your body. I agree. So different than someone who doesn't have that type of training, without a doubt. What, what's your favorite part about um, coaching or, or helping someone achieve their goals? Oh, uh, watching them step it up a notch. Uh, it, not, not just on the mat, but, uh, you know, generally most, if they're in the academy, the, they see their growth on the mat first. And they'll put in time, effort, repetition. They have a training partner. And they go through all of these principles, just training principles and ideas, and they finally make that achievement. And then pointing out that, hey, you know, this can apply the rest of your life. Work, your physical physical fitness, um, any achievement that you want to make. And then watching them take that information mm. and just step up a notch overall in life, achieve more, and just live, you know, at a higher level. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. That's one of the awesome, most awesome things I see on a daily basis. I had a student in my kid's class, and uh, he I think he worked with me until he was about 11 or 12 years old, and his parents moved. And I travel a lot, so I'm either flying or driving uh, different places in the U.S., and I was coming through Knoxville, Tennessee, and it was late, and I thought, well, I'm just I'm going to pull over and eat dinner. I just pull off the road, go in a restaurant, sit down, and I'm, I'm eating, and this man comes up to me, and he's well-dressed, suit and tie. And I, I saw him coming up to me, and I'm like, he's looking at me like he knows me. And I'm like, this is guy. I have no clue. And he walks up to me, and he, in a questioning manner, he goes, see who? And I was just like, uh, well, I'm, obviously we've met. And he's, and then he told me who he was. And so this kid had moved and gone through law school and made all of these life achievements. And uh, he recognized me and came up to me. It was, it was a, it was a Great moment for me. You know, thanked me for the different things that he learned in class. Wow! And you know, said you taught me these things, and I've gone on to use them. Wow, that's that's awesome. To better my career, family, and that moment right there, that feeling. It it, it definitely you know it makes you feel good about what you've done. That's huge. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, I've never looked back and thought, I wish I'd done something else. <laughs> Obviously, you do make a difference. Been pretty lucky to not only just be in the industry, but be able to do it professionally since the early 90s, grow different businesses in the industry and, and continue to be an active part of it and make a difference on a daily basis. I do my best. <laughs> <laughs> well, listen, for 13 years, you've been assisting the, the SWAT teams and the CIA and so forth. So you have made a difference in our country and the way they handle things because you you said something very important that they used to hire a lot of martial arts schools and no one took the insight to say hey what can you guys use because you know what doing a split or certain moves are not going to help them but you had the insight to find out what they really needed and what they were looking for obviously they knew they needed it but they didn't know exactly why and that's why they went through so many different people trying to find out what it was until they found you. Yeah, only that, it was a tremendous growth experience for me because mm-hmm. it, it connected me to a new network of uh, individuals, a new source of knowledge, 
just on combat, you know, because those guys get out and they do it every day. And uh, they'll tell you, like, they'll learn it. They'll go out, come back, and they'll go, hey, this worked. This didn't work so good. What can I change? And that interaction has been tremendous. It, it, it's affected the programs we've designed for them. It's affected how I teach in the academy. It, it's just been an incredible source of, of growth and information for me. Mm-hmm. Well, because a lot of martial arts instructors are teaching from just what they were taught. Some of them have. Maybe they sparred, but they've never been in a life-threatening situation where things are way different, way different. And so a lot of them are teaching techniques that don't work at all. They may look pretty. They may look effective. Yeah. But when it comes to real life, they don't work. And to me, that's a disconnect from reality and martial arts. And I believe that martial arts should actually step up a little bit and say, you know what? Let's make sure these things actually work. Let's let's figure out a way to make it work. And I think someone like yourself, who is making it work, and the fact that you're doing seminars and you're teaching other people, I think I applaud you for that because I think that's more need. That's very needed in our industry. I agree. It's it's important for, and again, it's my opinion that somebody that's an instructor in the combat arts and the war arts. To have a laboratory for growth. Um, I'm I'm super fortunate in that uh, the guys here in the academy they they tolerate me. <laughs> <laughs> so I'll say, hey, uh, we've got this scenario, and sometimes it will come from like uh, interaction with law enforcement or mm. somebody's ran into something in the security industry. I want to try this out, so I want you to do this to me, and we'll get a. We have a gentleman here in the school called Big John, and he's about. 370. And (laughs) hey, Big John, do this. How does it, we'll see how it feels. We'll see what happens. And a whole lot of truth comes out of that. You know, it might not be the truth you're expecting. And it's important, I think, to go back to that warrior philosophy. They seek the unknown and they do it on a regular basis. A lot of people are afraid of that unknown element in life or, you know, on the mat, but it's our job to seek it and place ourselves in those situations and gain that knowledge. Um, I mean, you're not getting killed. You can do it in a safe manner, but you're still testing and growing to, to see if there's that truth. And, and then when it's put in front of you, uh, the, another major step is just accepting it. Mm. You know, because I've, I've watched guys on the mat try something, and it doesn't work. And they'll get right up and go, well, it does work. It's just a bad day. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> and, you know, maybe. But mm. at the same time, as a warrior, be open to that truth when it's put in front of you. Absorb it. Take it. And then grow from it. Yeah. And, it's, you know, it's it's not fun. <laughs> it's not always pleasant. And, you know, sometimes you have to do it many times. But eventually, the payoff is invaluable. You will come out of it with knowledge and information but a lot of times, this is not taught anywhere. To me, I think I think that's the difference between, um, I've always taught the principle, and, and this information came from Grandmaster Dana Miller. He would say, you're either a sun student or you're a moon student. That's how it was taught to me the first time. And what he meant is like a, a moon student reflects light. So if you teach me something, I turn around and teach it exactly as I learned it. But a sun student is very much like, 
Bruce Lee. He took what he learned and he started to create light. And, you know, the principle is there to recognize maybe those fun instructors, students, but it's also there for us to go, hey, strive for that. You know, I, I don't want to just only be a reflector of knowledge. I want to go through the process of creating a wisdom and knowledge, and growth. And those are the guys that you, you get so much mm-hmm. from. You don't find them too often, you know, but when you do, that's a mentor. If you, if you run into one of those guys, hang on to them. Just like Bruce Lee and the guys that, you know, recognized what he was doing in his time and stayed close to him. The things they got out of that, tremendous. Oh, yeah, absolutely. It, it, it reminds me of a time because I, I believe in everything you're saying because I'm one that I have to feel it. I have to understand it. So I was doing a, a session with one of my students, and he's like, mm-hmm. Sifu, um, I want to work on chokes. I said, okay. I said, how do you do it? How do you apply it? I said, well, let me show you a couple of techniques and so forth. And he goes, but I want to really do it. I said, okay, we have an hour session. Choke me out. And for an hour, this guy was trying to choke me out. And every time he would do it, I would say, well, do this more, do that more. I'm not feeling it. Let me feel it. I, I said, really go for it. Choke me out. If, if I pass out, just wake me up. But for an hour, and he learned so much. And even though I knew what he was doing, I learned more because I was able to not only feel what he was trying to do, but also help him adjust so he would get a better choke. So that understanding is so critical so that we can help other people. And without a doubt, I mean, Bruce Lee was an incredible martial artist. And like Dan Inosanto, for him to still be doing martial arts and is 80, 80 years old is an incredible feat. You know, it's, it's something that we all need to live by. And I know that I will be a very old man and I will still be training and hopefully somebody will be trying to choke me out. <laughs> I, I think you're going to be the same. <laughs> I agree. I yeah, agree, man. Yeah. Don't ever quit. It, Never. It, it might be a small club, but uh, let's, we're still going to show up. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Why can't we choke those old guys out? Well, let's go. They want, they want us to choke them out. Let's do it. Yeah, absolutely. Sounds great to me. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So with, with everything that you're doing, and, and, and you know where the martial arts is going, what is your biggest fear for the martial arts world nowadays? Um, I, you know, it may be what we're discussing now is individuals or groups that don't take the time, find an environment to challenge what they have learned, the laboratory to see what works for themselves, for their students. You know, it's one good thing that Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu has done mm-hmm. in the last 20 years. is It's shown you that prove-it-to-me laboratory. <laughs> you know, you get out there and uh, just go at it and see if it works, you know, and you may be successful with the that is equal in your weight. Mm-hmm. And then you might say, hey, grab the guy that's got 100 pounds on you. And it just, nothing works. It has, you, you realize that one thing doesn't apply to every individual. And then, you know, you also see the perspective of it works with my body type against that body type. But I'm, I've also had the, the woman's class. And, you know, they're dealing with larger individuals. How do they apply it? You know, how do they have to change timing, placement in order to make it work? I, to me, that I hope that every 
everybody sees that laboratory. Not not just for jujitsu, but to see it as something I can apply in any final environment. High fighting, big fighting, mm-hmm. shooting, striking, crumbling, grappling, anti or counter grappling, uh, all of them. You know, I need to have a laboratory, a testing environment to learn those things, especially if you're a teacher. If, you, if you're just learning it for yourself, then you apply it in your body to those other mm. big guys, small guys. But if you're teaching, you have to have an answer for someone that's smaller than you. I have to have an answer for Big John, who's 370. How tall is Big John? How tall is he? Oh, uh, He's got to be 6'2". <laughs> he's a big boy. I had a Big John when I used to work in, in the city, in Manhattan, in New York City. And he was one of the bouncers. And he was 6'8", 375 pounds. His, he could put his whole hand and cover my whole face. And that was pretty amazing. Wow. He's a big guy. Yep. And it was always fun to, to mess around with Big John. But yeah, big, big guys like that are important because they help the little guys understand, wow, I can't just, I'm not strong enough. What else can I do? How can I move? How can I, you know, maneuver them? Because, you know, if you have somebody who's 375 pounds right. and you're 180 pounds or 150 pounds and they're sitting on you, what do you do? <laughs> so it's those those important moments that will teach us all how we adjust. And that's where the mechanics of the body come in. And that's that's what you were talking about before. Uh, sorry to interrupt. You, you were talking about, you know, Big John and, and having all these different people. Correct. Yeah, uh, you know, having different body types in your laboratory bounce things off of and uh, it, and the ability to accept mm-hmm. what you're given mm-hmm. uh, because it's it's changed it'll change your outlook it'll cha- challenge your belief on things you teach <laughs> but it's a good thing you know it's like we go back to that personal education process you know it's why it's so valuable because mm-hmm. right? you have that network that learning network that learning team and we're used to it on in the martial arts academy because we have our teammates and you know, we meet and we train and, and we work it out. But, you know, you don't necessarily have that in like a business environment. Um, it doesn't mean you can't create it because it's, it's possible. That environment will create the same amount of growth wherever you p- apply it. See, Sifu, let me ask you, you do so many different martial arts and you're, you're running your, your martial arts uh, academy. But you, are you also doing other businesses where you're actually coaching people in different aspects? Uh, yeah, I do a lot of personal coaching for business. I, I actually run a couple of organizations for high-level martial artists. And through that, I get an opportunity to network and work with a lot of guys. Sometimes it's on business. Sometimes it's on personal growth. Sometimes it's on uh, just coaching on development in martial arts. But it, I've uh, come to do that quite a bit in the last probably four or five years. What, what advice would you give someone who wants to follow in your footsteps? Because I, I'm sure all your students want to be like Sifu, right? Following the, the steps of the art mm. uh, business, it, it, it kind of depends on what their blueprint for life is. It, it's important to have that thousand-mile view uh, before you immerse yourself and get so caught up working in it that you don't work on it. Uh, I was fortunate, again, um, mentioned early teaching uh, to learn to have that thousand mile view, have a blueprint for life. You bounce all of the decisions, even daily decisions off that blueprint so that you're constantly moving in the direction. 
very well said <laughs> and, and totally agree with you on that because if you are only looking next couple of months next year whatever it doesn't it doesn't really give you a, an idea of how much you can grow as a person as a martial artist as a business person you know the japanese they have a hundred year plan they don't have a five-year plan they have a hundred year plan mm -hmm. what's your plan my personal plan mm -hmm. oh wow um well continue sorry to put you on the spot <laughs> oh yeah well to continue to grow i've got different areas of life that uh, i put energy into uh, about the school the tactical business the association design mm. I do a lot of uh, rappelling and diving, and I teach them. So uh, my my blueprint is pretty extensive. <laughs> but uh, I'm the type of personality I'm the type of personality that can't sit still. Jokingly, I tell people that like I haven't owned a TV since the early nineties. Mm. I just can't sit down and not do anything. You know, the people that are close to me, I wear them out. <laughs> uh, but I wouldn't have it any other way. I, I love planning. The, the passion about it, the drive, and, and the achievement. Uh, I love uh, affecting those around me, you know, uh, inspiring growth and change. If I were to just keep going in the same direction I'm going now, that, that would be tremendous. It would be great. You know, it's, it's funny that you say you haven't owned a TV. I've spoken with so many high-level coaches and, and, and people in their field who also say the same thing. They haven't owned the TV. And you know how much money we all save, including myself, because, I mean, I have TVs, but I don't subscribe to a, a cable station or anything. And the only thing I get is internet. I don't get, you know, all the different channels and all that kind of stuff. And I don't miss it. Right. It, it Because it gives me a chance to really grow as a person. And, and the internet is so vast. I mean... If you want to look something up, boom, there it is, right? And then, of course, we have to take everything that we see on the internet lightly because <laughs> there's a lot of junk out there and a yeah. lot of uh, false, false stuff out there as well. A as a coach, what would you say is your approach when you encounter someone, whether it's you're going to go yeah. teach a new SWAT team or you're working with a one-on-one -on -one private or you're going to teach a, a new class and maybe you're doing a new seminar? What is your approach to that? And obviously, I know and I can tell from what you've been saying is you definitely plan all your, your actions. But what is your approach right before you step on the mat or you step into that seminar atmosphere? Generally, like I, I have, like I said earlier, that thousand-mile view, uh, the blueprint for life. Uh, I apply that principle to anything I'm going into. So, um, you know, if it's to design a tactical program, you know, it's what is a thousand mile view here? Not only for me, but for the individuals I'm getting ready to interact with. What is the ultimate goal? And to me, like I get a lot of that information. If I have a seminar at two o'clock, I show up at 12.30 and I talk to people, get feedback. And, and why are you here? What brought you here? And uh, what are you looking for? What do you hope to achieve? And I kind of get a general idea off of that. And then the questions I will get while inside the event, whether it be a seminar or anything, to me that the questions and that information will guide where you go. And having the ability to adjust to that 
and, and, and truly put together something that's actually going to be beneficial. Absolutely. The, I think the improv is, is critical, especially when you're teaching a seminar. It's huge. Because if you're teaching or even if, if you're doing a speaking engagement and the audience is not at the edge of their seats or they're not paying attention, they're looking at their phones or whatnot, you have to actually, like you, like you said, you have to improv and, and find out what's going on and find out what the audience is really looking for. So that's, you know, that's what a great coach does. And that's what a great speaker does. I've seen so many speakers, and I'm sure you yourself have, where the room is just like kind of quiet, nobody's engaging. Yeah. And then you see other speakers where everybody's on, you know, tip of toes, and they're at the edge of their seat, and they're clapping, and they're engaging, and they're raising their hands. So there are different categories as where we can place a coach or a public speaker or even an instructor. I think that what you said is definitely correct, the blueprint of life, and also it's a blueprint of how you go into a situation, whether it's a a teaching situation or even a self-defense or real-life situation. Agreed. (laughs) So you you have a couple of seminars coming up, right? Yes, sir. And and what type of seminars are they? Uh, This year we've actually had quite a few of the jiu-jitsu seminar uh, lined up. I've put together a program that I teach in a lot of the jiu-jitsu seminars called Living Mechanics. And so it's not so much technique-based. It goes into body alignment, skeletal alignment, placement, timing, and just the foundational mechanics of the body. Mm -hmm. Uh, In the beginning, how to survive. Eventually, that leads into opportunities to escape Mm -hmm. and then into control and submission. So, you know, you go to a lot of seminars and they're more technique-based, which is good. You, you have to have that. But a lot of times that focus on technique doesn't get down to those little nitty-gritty mechanical changes that you can make that will have a huge effect on your grappling game. And we've been teaching a lot of more of those, and we have more of those lined up this year. And then... Um, I said earlier, I have a tactical business. I'm working law enforcement and uh, military. I've had a lot of requests on the public side for that type of information. So we've uh, got several seminars lined up where we're teaching uh, AMAC tactical events, but the information is more designed for civilians. Um, obviously, the laws that we have to follow as a civilian uh, in relation to uh, edge weaponry, concealed carry. Uh, physical interaction with another person, different. And um, uh, some of the elements really are not even caught in the martial arts, like um, the verbal exchange that happens prior to an event uh, and how to study that and turn it into systems that you can use to control or de-escalate. What is the proper way to have physical contact, taking the law into consideration? Uh, we don't really talk about that much in the martial arts. So that. Uh, those, those seminars cover that information. Take that information and just step up a notch overall in life. Achieve more and just live, you know, at a higher level. And one of the things that a civilian has to take into consideration is how it applies to uh, our expression of self-defense to local laws. Now, how, when, how and when I can put, actually put my hands on somebody and it actually be legal. But uh, like we we're saying, it also takes into consideration the expression of your defensive tactics because they have to be visually appropriate 
and socially acceptable in today's climate. So visually, uh, everybody has a phone out, especially if there's an exchange. And, you know, the, the other guy may have started your response, even though you're probably in the right, can get you in trouble. It can get you arrested. And you have to take that into consideration. Mm-hmm. And for the same reason, a lot of things that uh, we're taught to do isn't necessarily socially acceptable because of a lot of the changes that are going on in society. But I still have to be able to apply control and force against the threat. So we take into consideration how to do that and still do it in a visually appropriate way. Those are the uh, AMAC tactical events that we have planned this year. We, we also, I'll throw this out there because it's, it's something that I'm really getting behind too this year, is we, we have four events that are scheduled at the school this year just for law enforcement. You know, and they're, they're completely free. And we are getting more information that we teach out there to those guys. And a lot of it because of what's going on lately, you know, to help spread that information or give them more answers so they can be more effective in a safer way. Um, but we, we have four of those events scheduled uh, at the Academy in Woodstock, Georgia this year. That's awesome. Let, let me ask you, how, due to COVID, have you rearranged your seminar schedule because of the restrictions that there are? Uh, it depends, you know, obviously where you go, the restrictions are a little different. So I would generally talk to the host and I'll follow the same requirements that they are following in their academy. They'll let me know in advance how the event's going to go. Like we said earlier, we'll we'll design the seminar around those requirements. For example, I'm in New York and, and we can't grapple. We can't even do trapping. We can't do, uh, you know, wrist escapes, chokes, anything like that. Would you be able to do a seminar in New York? With those restrictions, which are very tough. Uh, there's a lot of things that you could do. The, uh, a lot of Filipino colleagues will you can do individually. Mm-hmm. Um, you could go through a lot of the uh, verbal sense of tactics, how a predator will interview you verbally, how they will, uh, we call it wolfing, they'll elevate their interview, try to intimidate you into doing something. So that whole program and understanding it, you could go through that and, and keep a safe distance from your partner. Yeah. And like a lot of the cool. classes that we teach in that, we will do a sidewalk drill and you're, you're pretty much just learning the gift of gab. You know, some people are blessed with it and then some people are uncomfortable with it, you know, and, and the inability to verbally defend yourself has to be learned. It's not, some people have a hard time with it, just like they do physically when they're learning the fits of tactics. So we want to create a situation that if you're not educated in it, you get educated. And we also want to create an environment that you can play and work on verbal exchange, which goes into uh, physical placement of the body. This is all prior to contact, and it can all be distant. So you, you could actually, mm-hmm. I've, I've actually taught these seminars, uh, two or three hour seminars just on that topic. And you can stay six feet away from everybody. <laughs> and it's a, it's a very, yes, you can. And it's a very important seminar because a lot of people as adults don't know how to do that. One of the things that actually um, towards the end of this month, I'm going to be teaching a, a bully workshop in self-defense 
but it's virtual. The school district contacted me and they want me to do that. And I already laid out the whole plan for them. They love it. Awesome. And it's all virtual. That's pretty, that's cool. That's a lot. It's going to be a lot of fun. I already had to play, play it out in my head. And then, you know, for me, I, I'm going to do it beforehand just so that make sure there's no glitches or anything. I'm sure you do the same. So I think that what you just brought up is very important. Have you considered bringing your, your verbal self-defense to the school system, to, to the public school system? Um, if not, you should. If not, I think you should, because it sounds like an amazing program. I, you know, I haven't, but it, I would not be opposed to it. Let me help you. Okay. <laughs> Let's do it. Because of everything you've said, and you are teaching people who can comprehend, but when we can actually teach three, four, five-year-old kids to start early, I think that's priceless. I agree. And, and I think that what you're doing, it should be totally in the public school system. And if you're not doing it, I think that, that's, that's something that you have to put on, on your plate because I think it's important. I, you know what? I'll look into it. If I can help, let me know. All right, well, maybe we'll team up on it. <laughs> sounds good. Sounds good. <laughs> yeah. But, but it's so critical that we actually start teaching the, the young kids because we, we have so much turmoil, especially when kids turn 12, 13, 14, 15, and they're going through really a tough times because, they, first of all, they don't understand their bodies. They don't understand their thoughts that they're going through. But if they've already had a place where they've started early before that all, before they, they turned that age, I think that would be huge for them. Would be a great addition as well as many other things. I'm going to put, I'm going to put you in charge of it. Okay. <laughs> see for Allen, that's it. That's your new, next goal. <laughs> all right. Watch out. <laughs> that's it. It's coming. It's coming to a school system near you. <laughs> You're doing some some incredible work, and you know, I, I really I applaud you, and I thank you for doing it because it's critical. It's critical what you're doing, what how you're helping people. You, you're a coach's coach, you know, and I've spoken to a lot of people who are a coach's coach, but you're bringing it in a different light. You're, you're not only doing the physical aspects of it, but you're also doing the mental aspects of of letting someone grow and become more than they were before. So, yeah, I applaud you big time. Thank you. Appreciate it. I say it because I mean it. <laughs> you know, we, we just met, but I can tell that you're the kind of guy that is, is just a down-to-earth guy who is just really looking to help other people. And that's what, to me, that's what a coach is. Someone who is just humble enough to say, yeah, let me help you. And then someone who is also humble enough to say, I don't know, but let me find out, and I'll help you after I know it. That is very important. Mm -hmm. That helps everybody grow, everybody in the room. Yes, yes. So a lot of coaches still have coaches of their own, and it's, it's obvious you do. Would you mind sharing who you're, who, you, who you're being coached by or mentored by currently? There's a list in the martial arts. You mentioned several of the names already. Guru Dan, mm -hmm. Lisa Song, uh, Eric Paulson. Uh, Master Chai, Pedro Sauer, Greg Nelson, Tim Wade, uh, James Cravens, Bob Bird, Cristo Diegas. But there's, the list is huge. <laughs> I have uh, different mentors in the business industry, 
in in the uh, security industry uh, that guide me. I'm a big believer in gaining information and knowledge through mentors. Books are great, but there's nothing like a living mentor because especially one, uh, like we said earlier, that's a fun teacher, mentor, student, mm. and he's out there making a difference, creating. And, and if you could find that guy, and regardless of the subject, and talk them into getting under their wing, there's nothing like it. I've never found a better method to gain knowledge and wisdom than just the mentor principle. Th- those critical conversations that we have. Yeah, and it, you know, it'll just be like a little gold nugget, uh, and, and that you'll go back and you'll spend six to eight months out of this year achieving that one thing. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's the same it goes right back mm-hmm. to that educational process. Uh, simplicity is mastery, and you know, if it's not simple, then you you just haven't refined it down to its simplest, highest percentage nugget yet. Sometimes you got to go back to the mentor and, you know, what is it? How did you, you know, how do you achieve this? What do you do on a daily basis? What is your routine? What is your habit? What is your thought pattern around achieving this goal? Those little discussions simplify and, and, and going back and achieving. Uh, like uh, one of the big things I did last year, I never in my life thought I'd be writing a book. I'm still shocked to even say, hey, I did it. <laughs> But I talked to, I have several students that, uh, who have done it and one who does it professionally. And but I, the, my, my first question to them was just not so much the topic, but just achieving it. What did you do just to get it done? Two things that you, that you did. And, it, you know, he said, well, this and this. And I did it every day. And, and that little golden nugget got the whole book done last year. Uh, you know, there's <laughs> congratulations. <laughs> Still things to finish, uh, like covers and stuff like that, but it goes right back to that simplicity and mastery and consistency over time, all of which uh, we've both learned on the map and can take it outside of the academy apply it to life. Sifu Allen, please put me down for one of your books and I'll pay whatever it is and I definitely want it signed. (laughs) So... That way I can say, hey, I have a real legend here, and he signed my book. Oh, I don't know about that. <laughs> Be happy to do for you. <laughs> you know, put, put me down on your list. I definitely want a copy. You got it. With all the, the training, all the traveling you've done, what's the toughest part about traveling for you? First thing that comes to my mind is airport. toughest part, mm. you know, uh, I would say, like, when I'm at home, I stay on a pretty strict training regimen. Mm-hmm. Uh, my diet is pretty strict. That is probably one of the biggest challenges when I start to travel is maintaining some form of physical training and diet. Like I'll have different events that I'll teach that'll be two and three weeks long. And going into an area, a lot of times I'll try to research it before I ever get there, find the closest gym, uh, the, the closest academy, talk to the, the owner in advance and say, hey, I'm going to come in, what's the mat be? And then uh, have to line up where I'm going to pick up meals. Well, if you ever come to Long Island, you definitely have a home here. Thank you. We're always uh, happy to have you. Oh, great. And uh, no mat fees for you. With, with all that traveling, you know, I mean, obviously the airport, you know, the waiting and all that kind of stuff. 
once you get there, the excitement probably builds up and everything. Tell us, have you had any crazy or funny stories on the road or in, in your journey in life? Crazy. Um, or fun. Funny. Okay. Uh, I was One of the first things that comes to mind as far as fun is uh, working with uh, a government agency. We had been training with them for a while. It takes them a little while to get to know you, like three or four years. And one trip, you know, we were lining up where we're going to meet, how we're going to do the training and what they wanted me to do. And they said, hey, can you stay like four or five days afterwards and we'll take care of everything. And we just want to make sure you have it on your schedule and adjust your flight. And I was like, okay, sure. Didn't know what was going on, but they wanted to take me on their training. Probably one of the most incredible experiences I have ever had. They were doing different types of uh, firearm training in a shootout, different locations. And that was the first time I've ever got uh, exposed to that. That started to develop my love of mm. shooting and marksmanship. Um, but uh, it, I was floored by the way those guys train, what they can achieve. And the amount of time they can do it in, just incredible. And it was a blast. Um, I remember coming back home and my hands hurting from mm. shooting so much uh, over the course of that three or four days. But that, that created another love for me, and which I consider another range of combat is just projectile weaponry. Uh, and it's many aspects. Mm-hmm. That was a tremendous opportunity and tremendous fun an opportunity to do that. Uh, another one would be um, did some work for uh, Vehicle Dynamics Institute out of New Jersey, mm. and I went in to do defensive tactics, and they invited me to stay for their driving program. Mm-hmm. And uh, you're literally driving around the track at high speed with people chasing you and other cars shooting at you with paintball guns. <laughs> that is a lot of fun. <laughs> wow. Now, who doesn't want to do that? That that sounds like so much fun. Uh, it is fun. You know, you think drive every day. You think you know how to drive, and then you know you find out pretty quick. Don't know anything about it. Let's, that applies to everything in life. I think <laughs> you think you know, then you find out you don't know. <laughs> <laughs> then you have to make a decision. Mm-hmm. You see it in the movies, and you're like, "I can do it." Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you just reminded me. I was um, visiting a friend in uh, Arizona, and she was. She designed the helmet that the fighter fighters wear, where it was a laser uh, shooting into their eyes. Not nothing that would harm them, but it would gauge where their eyes moved and the guns would move. And she was doing this for F-16s, yeah. And so she's like, I'm visiting you, her and her husband. And she goes, hey, um, are you doing something tomorrow morning? I'm like, no, I'm visiting you guys, whatever you want. She goes, all right, you're coming to the base with me. I'm like, okay. She goes, all right, get in here. And I had no idea what I'm doing. And she goes, okay, set them up. I'm like, what am I doing? She goes, don't worry, I got you covered. I flew an F-16 simulator. That's awesome. (laughs) And it was the most amazing experience ever. And she says, by the way, no civilians are allowed to do this. I'm like, wow. So after like three seconds, I crashed it and then I kept crashing it. But I had a whole half hour. And she goes, you have no idea how much money that would have cost you if you actually were able to do it. And I said, well, I, I, there's no way I can thank you, but is it okay that I crashed it like 300 times? 
And she starts laughing. She goes, yeah, I saw how many times you crashed, but you picked it up after a while. It, but there was no way in half hour I could have even flown for three minutes without crashing. It was just, it was so much fun. It really was. So yeah, it was, it was amazing. It was, it was so much fun. And you know, it, it's funny how people surprise you and, and they give you things without you asking just because they, they value who you are. And obviously that happened to you. Yeah, it's amazing. The opportunities that come up in this industry. You know, people say, what do you do for a living? Oh, I teach martial arts. Oh, well, you know, and they kind of put you in a box. And I have to say, like what we're speaking of here, it's amazing in life. The different opportunities in the different fields that uh, that sounds like you and I both have had the opportunities. You just wouldn't mm -hmm. expect that. Yeah, it, it's, it's an incredible network uh, of people. It is. Without a doubt. Love it. It, it. Yeah, you have to love it because it's martial arts or, and it doesn't matter the style. It, it's a vehicle to so much more. And, and a lot of people, like you said, put you in a box. My family still thinks I do karate and I'm okay with it because karate is a great art. You know, back in the 90s, they were still called saying, how's your karate school? And I was like, uh, it's Kung Fu. And then after a while, there's, how's your karate school? It's doing great, you know? <laughs> so it's okay, you know, as long as, hey, they, you know, they did put me in the box and they're like, oh, he doesn't uh, do much, you know? So they don't realize that it's so vast, this industry, and you can grow from it and you can do so much more because of the discipline it gives you, the focus. I think everybody who does uh, any martial art, as long as they're not, selfish about it and they're willing to give it gives us all so much opportunities to to new adventures i agree everybody thinks so they, at least for me they thought i was crazy when i was younger that what are you going to do with your life and i'm like i'm teach martial arts i'm like what mm -hmm. <laughs> they thought i was crazy for a long time yeah, yeah. <laughs> they may still do it i don't know i just quit asking after a certain amount of time you, you can't you can't help it but you know like you laugh so that's true Sifu Allen, this, this has been a lot of fun talking to you, but let me ask you one final question. How are we all going to come train with you? Give us, give us your details. Uh, well, probably the first option is the Academy. We're located in Woodstock, Georgia. You can find us on the internet at atlantamartialartscenter.com. Uh, I have a personal website, which is sifuallenbaker.com. The tactical side of the industry is amactactical.com. And you're welcome to email me for information. My email is sifuallenbaker at gmail.com, S-I-F-U. Second would probably be seminar. Um, we, we try to post a lot of the events that we have live this year on Facebook uh, and uh, our Instagram page. You can get in touch with me and uh, put you into the newsletter or the best option is probably the Facebook page uh, for Atlanta Martial Arts Center. They, they, that's very active with the different events. Uh, and if uh, that's not an option, I do a lot of uh, video coaching through Zoom. You never know. You, uh, I have people contact me on a regular basis to arrange events in different locations. And if it's fun, We'll, we'll work something out and get together mm -hmm. and have a good time. Mm -hmm. Learn something. Grow, grow something. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you for sharing that with us. So there is no reason why everybody listening to this podcast should not reach out to you. You're an incredible human being, and I appreciate your time. Yeah, thank you. 
thank you for for taking out your your time out of your busy schedule doing this podcast with me. I look forward to hearing more about all the crazy new stuff you're going to be doing. Yes, sir. And, uh, you know, keep us posted and we'll keep posting your information as well. Yes, sir. And let me know if there's anything I can do for you guys. Oh, that's awesome. And I'm sure you'll get a lot of people reaching out to you because not only are you teaching real martial arts, I'm not trying to put anyone down. But when I say real martial arts, I'm talking about, like you said, you have to have the lab and make sure it works. And that, to me, is extremely critical, especially, you know, when it comes to our life could be in danger. We should always explore the real ways of handling it. I agree. It's a life skill to learn how to protect yourself and do it effectively. Great, great. Thank you so much for today. You have an amazing day. Thank you. Thank you for having me. It's an honor. Oh, my pleasure. Thanks for listening to the Coaching Call podcast. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. I'll be back next week with a new episode and a new guest. You can find all episodes of the Coaching Call podcast for free on Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts. Thank <laughs> you.